All right, there we go. Today, as I mentioned, we are looking at the idea of a primer for living. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages that are just going to give us some good advice. And one of the things we're going to be looking at in this, um, as we go through our passage today is the idea of being selfless or self-centered. And obviously, it's better to be selfless than self-centered. And one of the questions then that we've kind of got running through the course of the message today is, can you be selfless without God? That's a question we'll be thinking about as we look at the message today. And the very first thing we're going to look at um, comes to us from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. And this is simply good advice for living. And I'm going to read that passage for us now. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who have been treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So the very first thing that we see in verse 1 is that we should keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And this speaks to the church. The church as a family. A place where we do love each other like family. We treat each other like family. And the question is, it's 3 a.m. and you need to call someone to come pick you up. Who, who's on that list of people that you're going to call at 3 a.m. and wake them up in the middle of the night and say, hey, can you come get me? And hopefully you've got some people on that list. Because at some point you're going to need to call them. And when we come, who is that going to be? You know, we, we'll often go with our family. So maybe my brother, you know, I've got a nephew that helps out with these things. But I also hope that we think of our church family. That they're the people that we can call when we need that help. And um, one of the ways that we can help create this better sense of family within our church is this, is simply to stay after the service and talk with one another. It's a great way to build up that relationship. And I encourage you to stay and talk. And You know, sometimes you're talking with people, especially people you're not that always familiar with. It gets a little awkward. Um, just embrace the awkwardness. Um, chat about something. Chat about the message. Don't chat about politics, though. Probably skip politics when we're here, because that's probably not going to turn out. Uh, so, well, there's a lot of things in this world to chat about other than politics. Verse 2 says this. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, the passage speaks here to offering a place for travelers to stay with you. So in uh, their culture, that was a way that you could help people. Um, there weren't hotels and motels for people to stop in. And so when a stranger was passing through, uh, if you offered up a room at your house, they would be very grateful for that. Today, I am not suggesting that you invite overnight guests into your home. If, if you want to, I'm going to leave that up to you. Um, but I think we can all understand that maybe there could be some concerns um, with doing that. But we do need to be people who are hospitable, people who are welcoming. A story from my life um, that reminds me of what hospitality is about. 
I was, um, this was a, a time I was working at a summer camp. I'm in college. And uh, Sunday morning came, and some of us from the camp decided that uh, we were going to go to a nearby church. And this was this small country church, this camp that's, you know, kind of out away from everything. And as we, we go to this church, which we had never been before, there were six of us. And uh, this church was rather small. It was a small place. And in fact, they didn't even have a pastor that Sunday. They only had a pastor some of the Sundays. It turned out to be one that they didn't have a pastor for that time. But then one of the ladies comes to him, and she says, you want to come to my house for lunch? And uh, we were like, that's a gracious offer, but there's six of us. There's six of us. And here's what she said. I remember, I remember what she said. She goes, I always have extra. She was ready for it, right? She didn't know that there was going to be people who were coming, um, but she, she had extra, and she cooked us a great meal, which was very much appreciated after spending a summer of working at a camp and eating camp food that wasn't so terrific. We had a wonderful Sunday lunch at our house because the lady says, I'm ready for six people to come over. She was hospitable. And now, decades later, right, I still remember that act of kindness. That's what this passage is be welcoming. Be hospitable. Uh, the passage continues on. It says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Those who have mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And so, actually, in our church, we do have people who are part of different helps to prisons. And so, our women's ministry has a number of things that they do that is helped towards local prisons. And then Miranda is actually um, part of uh, her ministry. Um, is to a local prison. So maybe you didn't know that about Miranda, but uh, that's part of her weekly routine, is helping out at a prison. And if, if that's something that's of interest to you, right? Prison ministry is not for everyone, but it is for some. And if you heard that and you're like, wow, I want to know more about that, you should talk to Miranda, right? Because she's doing it right now. And she will get you helped out with that. Uh, the passage continues on in verse 4. It says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And clear teaching of Scripture is that we are called to live sexually moral lives that align with scriptural teaching. And in Scripture, sex is restricted to marriage only. And as we look at this idea, I told you, we look at this idea of being selfish being self-centered, and being selfless. And as we think of those, sexual immorality is all about being selfish. It is all about the person and doing what they want, what makes them happy, what gives them pleasure. Whereas sexual morality is about being selfless. Because if you are sexually moral, it if you're in a marriage relationship, it honors the person to whom you're married. It honors your spouse. If you are single and you have the possibility of being married someday, like you're, you're like, hey, if that happens for me, I'm going to do that. Um, it honors the person that you might someday marry. You are single. Uh, perhaps uh, you are single and you have chosen singleness. And this is, uh, will be your life as singleness. Um, and in that regard, it honors God. Because people who have chosen a life of singleness um, have done so with the way that allows them to do more work for God than people who are married. And so, if you choose sexual morality, it is a selfless act that honors God. And 
we think of sexual morality was first put in place. Um, biblical um, morality regarding this was first put in place 3,500 years ago by the Mosaic Law. And the reason it was set up by Moses, is part of it is because of what God told him. But God said, I'm doing this for you so that you will be set apart from the people who are around you. And 2,000 years later, we have the New Testament written. And once again, sexual morality sets Christians apart from the people who are around them. And today, once again, sexual morality sets Christians apart from people outside of the church. It is a way of setting ourselves apart. It is not a way to judge others. And certainly we see that around in our culture today. There's a lot of judging others on this issue. And reality of this issue is about setting us apart, not looking at others and seeing what we think is wrong with them. One of the critiques that the church experiences is that, hey, this biblical morality, right? This is so outdated. That's the way people used to live, right? But that's not the way people do it anymore. And the reality is that, is that biblical, biblical morality was countercultural 3,500 years ago when Moses put it. It was countercultural 2,000 years ago when the New Testament was written. And today, it remains countercultural. And as we think of this idea as biblical morality on this issue, is it outdated, right? Is it for, you know, someone else, you know, a different generation of people? The question I would have for you is this. Is if you are married, you hope your spouse is following biblical morality. Yeah, you do. You do. And now I want you to think about someone in your life who might be getting married. Maybe you have a friend who is single. Uh, maybe you have a child, a grandchild who is single. So put that person in your mind. You, you wish that that person's future spouse right now, today, was living out biblical sexual morality? And the answer is, once again, it's going to be. So maybe it seems outdated, but it is good for us. And it is also a way of setting ourselves apart. Next verse talks about keeping our lives free from the love of money and being content with what we have. Ah, the love of money. The love of money. It is utterly selfish. It is all about the self. We want stuff. We want power. We want fun. We want to be able to go do things when we want to go do them. We want to go to exciting places that we can tell others about and they can say, wow. It's all rooted in this idea of the love of money. And we are called to be content. We are called to be content this week. As I was uh, looking at my speaker and listening to my speaker, I was like, I don't like it. It's okay, but I don't like it. I'd like to get a new speaker. And I, had, I was like, oh, i got to be content. I need to be content with what I have. We're going to save that other one maybe for Christmas time or something like that. Be content with what you have. And maybe there's some things in your life right now that regarding from a financial standpoint, that it's just best to be content with what God has provided for you. And the reason that we can be content is because God is indeed our provision. God is the one who provides for us. And we do not need to have fear. We do not need to have fear that we will be without. We do not need to have fear that we won't have enough. And the passage mentions this promise that comes from Deuteronomy 31. It says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Our God will never leave. And our God will never forsake us. And if we were to look at that passage in the Greek, it actually uses a negative five times in that one single passage. And in the Greek language, when you use negatives, they don't cancel each other out like they do in English. You know, like two negatives in English mean positive. 
Um, in Greek, on the use of the negative, it's like the word very for us. You know, and so when a seven-year-old says, I am very, 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 very hungry, you know that they are more hungry than if they would have just said, I am hungry. And so in this passage in the Greek, it's kind of like this. It says, I am no, not ever leave you, nor not, no, never, ever forsake you, which is, means God's with us. Our God is indeed with us. And we have the promise that the Lord is our helper. We need not be afraid. Um, We are going to um, come back to uh, the last two verses in Hebrews in just a moment, but right now we're going to switch to the book of Luke. And we're going to look at a couple of parables that Jesus told. And once again, these parables simply fit into good advice for living. And we continue to look at this idea, this question that's lingering about with us, is this idea of being selfless versus self-centered. Obviously, we're going to do better with a selfless life. And we have that question still that's with us. Can we be selfless without God? And we're going to look first at a parable that Jesus tells about a wedding feast. And this is going to be in Luke chapter 13. And I'm going to be beginning in verse 1 and then after that verse moving to verse 7. One Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus comes and he's telling this parable. It's just, this is just, it's a good advice, right? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you got to say that he's got, he's on to something here. And he says, you come to an event and don't take the most prominent seat. And the reason you're not going to take the most prominent seat at this event is because there is no good outcome for you. At best, you have a neutral outcome. So what happens when you sit down in this prominent place? Well, maybe people just leave you there. It's like, ah, that's the right spot. Maybe they just leave you there. All right. No one thinks anything other than that's where you are. Okay. The, the other thing that could happen, as Jesus tells the story, is all of a sudden the host of this event looks up and sees you in that prominent place and thinks, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're in someone else's spot. Uh, here, let me move you. Um, you know, walk you out in front of the crowd. Oh, no, you won't be sitting there. You're going to be sitting. Oh, there's the open seat in the back. Back where no one can see you. You get moved and this idea of kind of public shame comes upon you. He says, no, 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 no. What you do when you come to event is you take that seat over here. That one that's away from everyone. Says that if you take that seat, then you can have a good outcome. Right? Maybe the host just leaves you there out of the way. You know, that, that went, hey, you know your spot. At least, at least you know your spot, right? But maybe the host looks and says, oh, no, no. You've, we've got to put you in a better place. And walks you in front of everyone this time, saying, let's get this person into a place where we can see them. 
the point of this parable that he tells is found in verse 11. It says, those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which is the repeating teaching of Scripture. We are certainly called to be humble people, and we are told that as we are humble, that God will lift us up. And if we are going to be haughty people, we are going to be proud people, and God will knock us down. One of the things we certainly know is that haughty people are very self-centered. It is about them. They draw attention to themselves. It's about their wants, their wishes. It's about saying, look at me. Let me get my agenda across. Humble people, however, are very selfless. They are always putting others first. Certainly, let's not be haughty. Let's be humble. And one of the ways that we can do that is by listening well. You think of what's a a way I can do that in my everyday life. It's simply to listen well when you are in a conversation. Right? We, we know people right, that, that never hear what you have to say. And how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel when you talk to someone and you know they're not listening? Hey, right? You're not feeling so good, are you? You are not. Right? Because it's, it's putting you down. It's not lifting you up. But then think about when you've had someone who leaned in, someone who asked that question, someone who followed up with you. Know that you were heard. So valuable. A selfless act is listening to others. And I realize I've just given you a bit of um, a contradiction um, of suggestions. Because earlier in the message, I suggested we stay after the service and talk to people. Say hello. And then now I just said we need to listen. right? And then I was just envisioning putting these two together of all of us just sitting around looking at each other. Um, you know, like, what are you going to say? Uh, and I was like, that, that, all right, yeah, you, but you know what I'm saying, right? Talk to people. You can talk. Um, But when you're talking, be good listeners. The reason we're going to do that is it is a sign of humility. And um, as the uh, passage uh, continues on, uh, Jesus tells another parable. Um, It is a parable of the luncheon. I don't know if that's the actual name of it, but that's what I'm calling it. But it does, it feels kind of weird to think Jesus is going to a luncheon. But um, that's that, that's what he says here. All right, let me read that for us. That's going to be coming from Luke 13, uh, beginning in verse 12. Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And Jesus comes and he says, when you decide to invite people over to your house, invite people who cannot repay you. It is clear that Jesus is not an advocate of the reciprocity principle. The reciprocity principle says that when you do a kind thing for another person, then you can expect for them to do a kindness for you. And this might be something that you do with your neighbor. Your neighbor's like, oh, um, can, can you feed my cat while I'm away? 
And you think, yeah, and I'll ask them to water my plants when I'm away next month. That's the reciprocity principle. And that's okay. That works for neighbors. It's helpful both ways. But Jesus is saying, if you're going to show true kindness to people, be kind to people who cannot give you something back in return. I was thinking of words that we never heard Jesus say. Can you imagine Jesus, after he performs this great miracle upon this person, and think, you know, they were blind, he's restored their sight, and they see. And as they see, there's Jesus staring back at them. And he says, now you owe me one, bud. No, of course not. That's not how Jesus approaches things. Um, In the same way in life. Um, Let's not be people who are saying, hey, now you owe me one. And when it comes to self-centered people, self-centered people do show kindness towards others. But oftentimes it feels like a Trojan horse. They're using kindness to sneak in some other agenda. Whereas selfless people, kindness is an end unto itself. An end unto itself. And today, as you're thinking, hey, how can I be kind to the people around, around us? Right? How can I do something for people that won't give it back to me? And just a simple thing is to compliment a stranger. Someone you don't know, say something nice to them. Tell them something nice that you noticed about them. Compliment a stranger. As we come, we're going to return back to the passage in and what we're going to see is that we need God's help. As we've talked today of this uh, living that we do, that we are called to a selfless living, we recognize that to achieve it, we need God's help. And I'm going to read to us um, from Hebrews verses, chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. A key passage there is verse 8, as it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We worship a God who has not changed. We worship a God that is the same God that has always been and will always be. And as we look at this idea of trying to live out the life to which we are called. This passage encourages us to follow the teachings of the people who have come before us. Where you've seen this exemplified, look and see what they've done. Follow their example. Continue in the faith that they have set before you. Continue in that continuity. And to achieve the selflessness which God calls us, we can follow their examples, but also remember That our God does not change. Jesus does not change. And as we as Christians are on the journey, not to living selfless lives, that is not the goal to which we seek. That is an outpouring of the goal to which we are going towards. The goal to which we seek is becoming Christ-like. And as we become more Christ-like in our life, then we indeed live more selfless lives. But in that pursuit of becoming Christ-like, Christ, Jesus is not changing. We are the ones who are trying to change to Christ. So a question for us. I asked at the beginning, can you be selfless without God? 
Wait, can you do these things that I was talking about without the power of God within you? Yeah. You know, some of these things you can do without the power of God. You can compliment a stranger. You can listen well. And um, we know. We know. You know, some people are just a little more self-centered than others. Right? Some people, I think, are naturally a little more selfless. And some people a little bit more haughty. Just the way they came. And the reality is this. The reality is this. Is that there are some Christians in this world who are absolute turkey. They are unpleasant people. They are. They are. And that doesn't mean they're not pursuing Christ in their life. It just means they're a little rough around the edges. And here's the truth. There are some non-Christians in this world who are very kind, gentle souls. And when we begin to kind of put these together, we say, what's, what's the importance of Jesus in all of this? And as we, as we think of that, as I was mentioning, these kinds of people, one of the things we don't know is we certainly don't know their hearts. We can never judge those. But as we think of this idea of can we be selfless without I'll tell you some things that I do know. You know this. I know that the world needs selfless people. The world needs selfless people who will contribute to a kinder, gentler, better world. And I know as I, I, as I know the people here, right, I know that's important to you. It's a better world. With more kind people. With more gentleness. With more love. With more concern. With more helping of others. The world needs such people. The world needs selfless people. And here is what I also know. That spending Sunday mornings, going to your kids' sporting event, sleeping, playing pickleball, going out to the bakery, those things are not making the world more selfless. They are not contributing to a kinder, gentler world. But being here this morning, being encouraged in your faith, being encouraged to compliment a stranger, being encouraged to listen well, it helps. It helps. So can you be selfless without God? I'll, I'll let you come to your own conclusion. But I know we need God's help to live the lives to which we are called. We want to be people who indeed put others before ourselves. And we want to be people who are contributing to a better world. Let's take a moment and quietly reflect upon today's message.